Welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. No joke, I'm trying to be first. Blow smoke, you'll be dying to reverse. First cut, yo, I never do rehearse. Work until the sun goes down. Revolution like the earth goes round. Every movement is calculated. Thorns in the room and I want my crown. Yo, hate on the team, get your roof cracked. Take funds from the pot, get the proof back. Talk smack on the stand, get crossed up. Mess with the best, get locked up. Yo, never put the mic back down. Always fight, you should write that down. Like that sound through your people, speakers, lost and found. Jeepers, creepers, often bound to your fate. No time to relate, I'm one of the great rappers. Absurdity takes and worthy debates. See my jersey up in the rafters. Yo, I'm deified, spell it backwards. Y'all neophytes and your backs hurt. Because of how hard my rhymes hit and a variety of other factors. Yo, I'm strapped with the coin for real. Seed phrase stamped in a plate of steel. Explore your blocks of the mempool squad. Go in hard, then slow reveal. Bring in freedom because you need it for the road ahead. And the past we tread stack lavishly. Actually, back to reality games. The faculty see on galaxy brains. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firm-wide research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. Ryan Adam from the office of Senator Tom Tillis and Naveen Parmar from Senator John Hickenlooper's office are here to talk with us about the Proving Reserves on Others Funds Act, the Proof Act. Fascinating bill that was introduced on a bipartisan basis in the U.S. Senate that would help protect cryptocurrency users and consumers in the United States from commingling would also require that exchanges and custodians perform cryptographic attestations of proofs of reserve. Fascinating bill. It's a good discussion. Of course, we'll also check with our good friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk markets and macro. Before we get to that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. I am very excited about the Proof Act. I think it would take the space in a great direction. It's a narrow but powerful bill that would directly address the types of blow-ups like FTX that plagued the industry last year. Can't wait to get to that discussion with Naveen and Ryan. But before that, let's hop right into it with Bimnet Abibi and talk about markets. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, welcome to Galaxy Brains. Thanks for having me. It's always great to have you on, and uh, so we have a great time because you're on every week. And, <laughs> but this is a special week, like every couple are. Today is Fed Day. Yes. Uh, the Fed has announced what? That they are keeping rates on hold. Um, rates are set in the band of 525 to 550 so is that, right is now. Is it fair to say they announced nothing, but they said <laughs> things? <laughs> but they, they said things. Uh, they they released the, their statement yeah, um, as per usual. Um, they kind of gave their rationale as to their decision um, and kind of gave an overview of you know what they're concerned about, what they're watching. Um, high level, um, they are seeing how financial conditions react to the tightening that we've had, um, particularly in, in the back end of, of the U.S. interest rate curve. Um, they're looking into, you know, how that's going to impact things like, you know, credit conditions and how that's going to impact like households. Um, and so, you know, largely they're saying we're going to wait and see um, as to how things develop. Um, and so you're seeing pretty muted price reaction to the statement. Um, however, we are still waiting on the press conference. That's going to happen in you know the next fifteen minutes or so. Yeah. Um, but you know, and 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 then we should get a little bit more more additional context for as to you know the the rationale. However, there's very little in terms of pricing, um, in terms of additional rate hikes, um, you know, for for this year. Um, and so you know, a lot of participants are focused on on cuts. Um, 
and yeah, it's a, it's an interesting day, um, you know, for the statement to come out because you did have a lot of data this morning. In addition to you know the specifics uh, around refunding um, came out, and so it looks like there's going to be a little less coup- coupon paper um, and the data this morning, particularly ISMs or ISM. In, in particular, was, was really soft. That's the manufacturing data? That's the manufacturing data. Um, prices paid was was soft, and so were new orders. Um, so much so that, that the Atlanta like GDP down? Now tracker yeah. went from, like, mid-twos in, like, forecasting GDP to, like, like low ones. Oh, wow. And so, because new orders are, like, a big part big of it, I, I, I believe. And so there was soft data, and we had less, like, back-end supply than the market was expecting today, all before a relatively benign FOMC statement. So you've had a pretty significant rally in U.S. yields today. Um, we've seen the two-year yield take out 5%. Uh, we've seen uh, tens, you know, go from, like, you know, 493, 494 at the highs to 480 right now. Um, you know, the dollar uh, has been a little bit, you know, uh, more bid than I would expect, given you know we have we've had a little bit of a risk on move in stocks and, and bonds are, are rallying. Um, however, that may just be you know more eurocentric. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing to keep in mind is uh, we had BOJ like earlier this week. Yeah. What do they do? I saw is it yield curve control? It looked like there was because because JPY USD was like uh, getting above one fifty or, or yeah USD. dollar USD dollar, JPY yeah. Uh, yeah, no, so uh, basically they're stuck in between a rock and a hard place. That's a function of having, you know, easy monetary policy for, you know, better pa- better part of half a century. And you just can't get out of that instantaneously. And so, you know, what they did uh, this week was, you know, say that the, the 1% band was really, like uh, in terms of the 10-year, was really more of a, uh, a reference area, <laughs> um, even though their official target for the 10-year is still technically 0%. And so they're stuck, you know, between a rock and a hard place in the sense that, you know, if they if they don't, uh, you know, materially address, you know, the the, the bond market dynamics, their currency is going to devalue like crazy. Um, and, you know, unless they're willing to defend it super aggressively, they either uh, have to hike up rates and, you know, do a little bit more enhancement of, of the yield curve control or it's just more status quo and they own all the paper in the, in the economy, all, all the the, the risk assets and and their currency continues to you know de- devalue right uh, but high level it speaks to um you know kind of just the entire like the how disingenuous you know monetary policy is right now whether it's domestic or abroad you know these guys in, in the boj have you know literally like transform their economy in, in the sense that like it's just built on zero interest rates and the BOJ endlessly expanding their, their balance sheet. Like if they started jacking up rates and bond prices started selling up, their banking system would be in trouble, similar to, similar to the U.S. And then in the U.S., it's like, wait, they, they have a, a fiscal situation that is just Come totally unhinged. You don't think uh, Powell's going to address the fiscal situation in the no, comments not, coming not up? No, not effective. He hasn't. He hasn't. <laughs> yeah. But like, what is he supposed to do? Like, he actually can't do anything right. about it. It's literally and outside he, his remit. It is. But and then if he's like, well, you know, the Fed's going to have to monetize it at some point. Then it's like, wait. Like, <laughs> I mean, he could also get called an activist or get politically uh, yes targeted if he were to do that. this type of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's tricky. But it's super tricky, but but high level. It's like you need. There needs. There will be a, a moment of reckoning there. I think eventually. Um, but you know, for me, it's just more like I, I hate 
being lied to or deceived by my central bankers telling me, oh, everything's okay, we got it all managed, right? Like, that didn't work out last time with telling me inflation's transitory, right? And I think generally there's just a lot of angst in, in the investor community um, and just people in general. And, like, that's why, like, you know, an asset like Bitcoin resonates with a lot of folks, um, whether it's the traditional macro types or whether it's the guy that can't afford a home because, you know, the Fed jacked rates to zero and, and right. everybody brought all, all this property and, you know, all the wealth effects, all that jazz. It's like, you know, there's a lot of disenfranchised folks out there. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, I, I continue to remain constructive on, on and Bitcoin. This, and Bitcoin's uh, over our shoulder, right? We're around 34.5. It's basically exactly where we were when we recorded last week. I mean, it, it is for all intensive purposes at the tradable high. Mm -hmm. in, in real size liquidity, I mean, 34,500, you know, it is the best performing or one of the best performing assets of yeah. the year. And it's not by coincidence. You are having real size, real institutions like folks coming in and recognizing the value that's there. And it's highly differentiated. It's been uncorrelated to, to other risk assets as well. It's deeply liquid. They're derivatives. I mean, it, it's really having its moment. And, you know, obviously the upcoming catalyst with the ETF. Yeah. You know, the, the bull case, you know, really writes itself. But to be honest, like the, the bull case is made every day by these stupid central bankers. <laughs> every single day. Like, I mean, at least they're they're to your point, right? And you've been you've been more um, defensive of the central bankers in the past, but it seems like you're sort of you know you're reaching a tip breaking point here. Like, yeah, no, I've, I've I've just generally just just grown frustrated. Yeah. you know, over time, I and mean, because it's just it's like wait, oh, you know, we got to get involved in another conflict. What does that other conflict involve? Cost money. Cost money. Yeah, money you don't have money you just print and like if if the the dollar wasn't the reserve currency of the world like this wouldn't be happening yeah and there's no one in con well there's very few folks in congress that are like hey guys we got to spend a lot less and i'm willing to take the political consequences right. of not spending it is that a very difficult political it's a political impossibility at this point right and so you know i think there's a handful of senators that talk about it but really in terms of you know rubber meets the road actions is yeah, limited. Now, you, you can't get on a message yeah, like exactly. that. What president's going to get elected being like, I'm going to raise your taxes and I'm going to cut spending. But this is what I like about why could could the, the Fed not, I mean, we talked about how they're in their own political conundrum because they only have this very clear mandate by law, by the mm. way, right? So if they were to start speaking out about fiscal, they could be accused of meddling in politics and that could hurt the Fed overall. And yeah, but no, but they're not elected representatives in the same Correct. way that Congress members and senators are. So theoretically, like they ha they are in a position to be the like, you know, the big kid in the room and, and offer a longer term view here. But they have it. I mean, let's just be honest, like boring economists on television doesn't sell. <laughs> yeah. Like people aren't gonna turn on the TV to hear about like the How we combination of like and mo stuff. monetary and fiscal. Like <laughs> that's just not yeah. like a popular thing. What do people want? They want checks in the mail. <laughs> they want social security Good to governance, increase. Safety. They want their yeah. potholes fixed and stuff. Right. And they don't want to worry about walking down the street and getting attacked or whatever. Right. So right. There's national security. Right. And so. Um, yeah, this is a bit wonkish they, for they, them. But it's just like you can't have everything you want, but like you can't have the, your cake and eat it We've too. We've never really learned that as a nation. No. Certainly not we, in generations. No, yeah, right? exactly. There are many other nations where the general populace Absolutely. is very familiar with the, the ills that can befall yeah, you I mean, if there you are have countries bad monetary that run, policy. Like 
you know, surpluses. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there are countries that have dealt with crippling inflation Correct. that actually blows up their entire economy and, and, and social order in their countries. And so those people are well aware of these types of issues. Absolutely. But Americans really just aren't. So. Yeah. I mean, we're Americans are and we're even not on like trade with now. respect to inflation. We're not there we now. Don't even, but the we fear. didn't even understand right. inflation properly till like maybe even we still don't. I know. Like, I and know. so uh, it's, it's, it's a very tricky dynamic. Well, we're not there at, at the, you know, the societal or economic blow up with inflation yet. But I think what we're talking about is the very long term national debt the, the, that's going to tie this country's hands in terms of what it can do fiscally because of the interest on that debt. And there's and, and you've got the central bank really not speaking about that part of the equation. And it's, and it's frustrating. But because it's like it's not just about now. It's like five years from now. What does the profile look? Ten years from now. What does the profile look? We've and seen just, some estimates. It looks awful. And yeah. the estimates the, you know are bad. The CEO projections are not good. <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, maybe yeah. maybe uh, maybe if Bitcoin becomes more popular, people will learn more about a scarce, you know, uh, fixed commodity type money, and that that will change some attitudes about and education about about money and spending. That maybe that's asking a lot. But <laughs> you know, I I think that. Asking the bare minimum because money isn't what it used to be. Yep. Bimnet Abibi, Galaxy Trading, thank you so much. Thank you. Let's go now to our guests, Ryan Adam and Naveen Parmar. Ryan Adam, Economic Policy Advisor to Senator Tom Tillis, and Naveen Parmar, Chief Counsel for Senator John Hickenlooper. Guys, thanks so much for coming on Galaxy Brains. Yeah, Alex, thank you for having us. This is Ryan Adam, and I greatly appreciate to be here. Thanks, thanks again for having us, and looking forward to this discussion. So we're going to get into it a little bit, and I have Ryan and Naveen here because their offices, Senator Tom Tillis and Senator John Hickenlooper, have introduced the Proof Act, the Proving Reserves of Others' Funds Act, um, which mandates proof of reserves and auditing requirements on crypto custodians um, and exchanges in the United States. Um, It's a super interesting piece of legislation that, of course, I'm supportive of, but before we do that, maybe we start with Ryan. Tell us who you are, uh, how you got into your your position. I think people are interested to know uh, how people who work in Washington get there. And then, of course, tell us about Senator Tillis and his interest here in this bill. Sure. No, happy to, Alex. Thank you for, for the question. So, yeah, Ryan Adam, um, originally from Raleigh, North Carolina. So uh, representing the, the home state and working for my home state senator. Um, senator Tillis is economic policy advisor. I also serve as the minority staff director for the banking committee subcommittee on financial institutions and consumer protection. So uh, in that capacity, I lead most of Senator Tillis's efforts on banking committee um, so anything that touches financial markets, financial institutions, fintech, and then also do some broader budgetary work for the senator as well, too. Um, been with senator for about seven years now um, and certainly have enjoyed my time here. Um, and working for Senator Tillis is a pretty fantastic opportunity because he is, uh, I, I think, a very pragmatic member of the Senate, very pragmatic member of Congress and someone that is prioritizing um, getting stuff done a, a lot of times and uh, really is a pragmatic conservative. He, he often tells us about don't let the, uh, the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I think that governs a lot of how we approach legislation uh, through this office. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. And Naveen, uh, same question to you, just maybe quick background on you and, and how you got to the Senate and and tell us about Senator John Hickenlooper from Colorado. Happy to. Uh, Naveen Parmer, I'm the Senator's uh, Chief Counsel. Um, like Ryan, I handle a uh, policy portfolio that it consists of tax, banking, financial services, small business, fintech. Well, um, as one of the lawyers in our shop, I also handle 
uh, things out of, out of the Judiciary Committee, which Senator Tillis also sits on. So things like immigration and voting rights, um, cannabis, et cetera. So um, we're a couple different hats for the senator. Um, prior to joining Senator Hickenlooper, I was the general counsel for the Committee on Small Business during the pandemic. So that was an interesting time trying to keep small businesses open through the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, and a little bit about my boss. Um, he used to be a, f- a former mayor, former governor of Colorado, two-term, two-term mayor, two-term governor. He's a first-term senator. Um, I joined his senior team um, shortly after he was elected in the 2020 cycle. Um, the senator, like Mr. Tillis, um, as a former governor, as a former like executive, wants to get things done, um, wants to work across the aisle and with, with folks that he um, thinks he has some commonality with. And, and Senator Tillis is one of those folks. Um, and then I've, uh, the fit for, for myself and the Senator was he wanted to focus on innovation and entrepreneurship. I think there's only a few things. The Senators, senators in general have a lot of things coming at them. Um, you can only maybe sometimes pick two or three things to work on and entrepreneurship and innovation um, are two things that or one thing that the, that the center wants to, to focus on, and that was my background as a small working in small business t- uh, policy, seemed like a natural fit for him. So I was thinking about, and I think our audience probably heard that Senator Tillis is a Republican from North Carolina, Senator Hickenlooper a Democrat from Colorado. Um, I neither of your offices that I'm aware of, and correct me if I'm wrong, have previously been involved in policy issues related to digital assets or the crypto economy, at least in terms, certainly in terms of introducing legislation, um, while several other offices in the Senate have have been. Um, and I remember that Senators Tillis and Hickenlooper had given a speech at the BPC earlier this year, and they spoke about the deal-making caucus uh, in the Senate and their interest on focusing on singles and doubles from a policy perspective. How does that deal-making philosophy inspire or influence your office's interest in working together on this proof of reserves issue? Maybe Naveen, I'll kick it to you first. Sure. You know, it kind of goes back to some of the things that I mentioned earlier. The senator wants to get things done. Just the nature of the Senate, um, because of the way the rules are are structured, you have to get 60 votes to get anything done or across the finish line. Um, So that that, that sort of relationship building and that ability to um, see different points of view and and, and want to work across the aisle um, just sort of has to be a fundamental nature, fundamentally part of like, if you want, if you want to get things done in the Senate and, and legislate. So that, um, you know, that combined with my boss's, um, you know, inclination to support, innovate, support innovation, support like new ideas um, and to support, you know, the, the entrepreneurship economy. Um, I think that's what, what, what we're part of the financial innovation caucus. Um, I think that just from my background and my, the Senator's background as well, he's, he's, he's a former small business owner. Um, he's familiar with traditional finance and traditional access to capital and some of the struggles that some people face accessing traditional capital. I think that was that's part of the reason why he's um, interested in in this space is because unlike, you know, many industries like technology or aviation or, or what have you, I think the financial services industry um, has been lacking in innovation. Um, I think this is sort of the same same products and the same players over the course of you know, 50, 60, 75, 100 years. Um, and that sort of um, disruption um, might be needed in this industry. And I think that's that's one of the reasons he uh, found found this interesting or found found is finding the, the aspects of blockchain and 
innovation in the financial services in, uh, industry interesting. Brian, uh, what about you from the Senator Tillis' office? What about the deal-making caucus uh, uh, discussed makes this seem like an interesting opportunity? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And I think Senator Tillis and uh, you know Senator Hickenlooper certainly been there as, as well, too, has been kind of at the, the forefront of a number of the major legislative pushes that Congress has made over the last uh, couple years. Um, and I think Senator Tillis certainly, you know, to, to kind of retreat back to what I said earlier with his comments about not letting the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Well, looking for singles and doubles is kind of the, the legislative way in which you do that. Um, and so certainly, you know, to your point, Alex, we haven't introduced other crypto related or other other digital asset related pieces of legislation until the, the proof act. But that doesn't mean that Sandra Tillis wasn't part of the, the coalition of the willing that wanted to work on this issue. Um, you know, I, I think we can certainly get into a, a larger conversation about where, where that stands and where that's going. Um, but Senator Tillis certainly thinks that, you know, some clear rules of the road are definitely necessary for the digital assets industry. And we, we objectively kind of saw the Proof Act as a, a good first step into that area that, you know, was um, something that is uh, e- easy to understand and industry, industry best practice and, and certainly something that we think just, you know, incrementally moves the ball forward in a productive way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, can we just talk a little bit about, because I see that this is a is a single and double kind of play, right? It's narrowly focused. I think from, you know, I'll describe it as if I look at some of the larger comprehensive packages that have been proposed in both the Senate and the House, this is significantly more tailored, you know, just to build on that, Ryan, what about this? Like, what was the strategy there? Why, why is this interesting as opposed to say signing on to, not that the others aren't, but like, why, why this also? Why the Proof Act also? Sure. I, I think that's a great question as well. And you know, it, it really kind of boils down to on our end, we saw a very acute um, instance occur with FTX and the implosion of FTX, where there were a number of uh, misgovernance and malfeasance actions that occurred there that, you know, if you took something such as the Proof Act would pretty readily address that. You know, with FTX, you saw that they were commingling institutional and customer funds. And with FTX, you saw that they were diverting customer funds to a subsidiary, which was Alameda Research. And, you know, I I think Sandra Tillis is a big fan of taking something that is happening, a real world event, and trying to craft a solution to that. Um, And I think that's certainly something that that Senator Hickenlooper brings to the table as well, too, in his his approach. Yeah. Naveen, maybe build on that and tell us also, what is the Proof Act, if you can start throwing that in at the end of this? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I think the proof act, or the proof act, just simply says um, that you know that crypto companies have to have the assets of their customers that they say they have. It's it's a pretty basic concept. Um, it's a pretty basic, you know, in terms of like traditional, like back to traditional finance. Um, the reason we got interested in this in this particular piece of legislation is um, we sort of looked at the traditional finance financial services industry and said, you know, this, there's there's things in the crypto industry that have flavors of that. And um, are there things we sent a letter to, to, to SEC chair Gensler, I guess it was about about a year ago now, particularly specifically stating, like, are there things you can do? Um, are there things you can do right now that um, you don't need a legislative path for that that sort of mirror traditional finance? And, you know, the SEC rule 15, three, I believe is a brokerage. Um, custodial custodial requirement rule, and um, you know we just thought that that's something that can be 
you know, imposed on or, or layered onto the crypto industry right now. So um, that was, that was the impetus for our, for our joining this bill, because we thought there's, there's just similarities that should be, should be taken into account right now. And Naveen, maybe start here with this question too. What is the path forward? So the bill was introduced at this time we're recording on, on Monday. It was introduced last, uh, I guess a week, about a week and a half ago. Um, I mean, just for this bill specifically, a bill like this, like what, what are the next steps? I mean, is it a matter of talking with other members of the Senate and, and you know, spreading the view of it or, or where does this go from here? Yeah, I think that's that's part of the strat. That's part of the strategy is is, is opening up and, and and having those conversations with um, you know other potentially interested members of the Senate. I mentioned earlier that it takes you know 60, 60 members or to get something across the finish line on the Senate side, um, or at least it takes um, a lot of bipartisan work to get something across the finish line. So I think one thing we'll be doing is working with with Ryan and working with Team Tillis on socializing the bill with other banking members, socializing the bill with other. Other senators. I mean, I will say that um, I think when we first started, you know, CRS or, or, or there's some research out there that bills generally take about eight to ten years to get signed into law from time of introduction to to passing. So, like, this is one step in the process. Um, but I think we're also looking for potential vehicles um, that are in the crypto space. If if a, if a vehicle would move. Um, then we would be looking to potentially attach it to that. Um, that's just sort of how things happen in the Senate, where you know you got to find some sort of legislative pathway or, or, or train, as we as we like to call it. And if there's a crypto um, sort of path for for legislation, I think we'd be looking for an opportunity to to add this to that. Yeah, and I, I'd just add on to that that you know I, I certainly think for Senator Tillis's perspective, for our perspective, that um, you know it's important to have something out there with our name on it that we kind of have on the shelf ready for the crypto uh, and digital assets industry writ large. Um, you know, there has been a lot of talk over recent years about a much more comprehensive package. You've seen that come together to be introduced with, you know, Lummis Gillibrand, some of the other stuff that's come out of the ag committee jurisdiction. Um, and, and a lot of how this institution works, similar to what Naveen said is, you know, you get these large packages together and then this gives both of our bosses an opportunity to be part of that coalition of the willing that, that pushes something forward. Um, and so certainly it, in our minds, would be a, a really strong addition to any sort of cryptocurrency or digital assets related package uh, and, and obviously gets our bosses involved in that negotiation as well, too, which is an important point. Awesome. Let, let's step back for just a minute. And, and I want to understand where I, I think FTX has certainly raised the profile of crypto in Washington, <laughs> obviously not for good reasons. Where does crypto as a policy matter stack up against other matters Congress is facing, either in the broader economy or financial services, maybe specifically, Ryan? Sure. Um, yeah, I could maybe start with the Senate Banking Committee perspective and we can kind of expand from there. But um, obviously, it's a hot button issue and it's something that's incredibly important. Um, that said, there are a lot of other moving pieces in the financial markets right now that are also incredibly important. Um, I, I think that a lot of time and attention is being pulled away uh, because of the Basel, Basel capital requirements, the uh, holistic review by uh, Vice Chair Barr at the Fed on capital level, levels uh, within the U.S. banking system, uh, and uh, other actions by the SEC as well are kind of pulling away at 
the ability and the bandwidth for, for members to address uh, cryptocurrency and digital assets with a lot of the rulemaking and the pace of rulemaking coming out of the SEC. So um, from the, the banking committee perspective, you know, I, I think I've yet to see uh, indication that Chairman Brown may want to move something in this space. That said, um, cryptocurrency and digital assets remains a pretty high priority for members of the House Financial Services Committee, and, and there may be some opportunity to negotiate something between the Senate and the House at some point in the future. That includes uh, at least some crypto-related packages. Yeah, I think I agree with everything Ryan was saying in terms of like Senate banking's priorities. Um, I think we mentioned that the last few weeks have been tough in terms of the Congress doing the basic blocking and tackling of the budget. So I think short-term... Those kind of things will still be at the forefront, budgetary issues. And then, you know, next year we're heading into an election cycle as well. Um, so that sort of is, is, a, is a potential impediment as well. Um, but I think there is an opportunity for, um, you know, if a package does come together, there's there's folks like my boss and, and Senator Tillis and other House Financial Services members that care about this issue. Um, and there's also like another angle, you know, there's a there's a lot of folks in my boss. This is my boss is in this camp as well, really cares about consumer protection. Um, so once you have those sort of like alignment of interests where, you know, I think the proof, the proof act is something that creates regulatory, some regulatory certainty for the industry, but also creates um, consumer protections. Once you have my boss likes to talk about alignment of interests and once you have those alignment of interests, there's there's a potential opportunity to do something. Yeah, it feels like from my, you know, look at and, and, and thinking about the proof act that there is an alignment of interest that both. You know, industry looking for, first of all, a number of regulatory issues in the United States, clarity. Um, standards, but also this is something that clearly is designed to um, combat some of the malfeasance we've seen uh, from some industry players. So on a consumer uh, protection and safety uh, basis. So one thing I like about that, I, I think it's a nice way to describe it. Naveen, I'll start with you on this question. So some in the crypto industry have referred to how some of the market regulators, specifically the SEC, have have pursued uh, and involved themselves in the digital asset industry as um, regulation by enforcement. Um, do, would you agree with that criticism? Um, or also, how important is it that Congress be heard on these policy matters in your mind? You know, I think <laughs> we're, we're actually on record on this, right? Like we we have the letter that um, that we sent to Chairman Gensler, like outlined both those points that there probably is, there probably are uh, spots where the SEC you know, should be, there are probably like outfits out there that are probably acting as um, they're treating, treating assets like securities and acting like securities um, and financial entities, and they should be regulated. But but there has to be um, a balance, and I think Congress has a role to create some, um, you know, create some rules and create some guidelines so that the industry can um, know exactly what is you know what is a security and what is not a security. Um, and I think there's that's that's exactly where someone like my boss and Senator Tillis are, are, are positioned because. Um, to be like the voices of reason and, and not to be, you know, not a cheerleader on one side or the other, but try to be somewhat balanced in, in, in that approach. Um, you know, my boss was the governor of Colorado whenever um, we legalized cannabis. He was not supportive of that measure, but he he saw it coming. You know, the, the voters wanted it. It seems like in the crypto industry that the industry's here. It's a one trillion or one point five trillion dollar industry in the, in the U.S., so it's here and it needs to be regulated. And, and I think he thinks about that in the same way as he viewed cannabis regulation, that it wasn't something he was for, but this is something that, um, you know, that it's required of public policymakers to sometimes put their big boy pants on and, and deal with industries or, or, or create rules and regulations 
for something that they that you, you you may not agree with, but you but you also understand there's a market for it, um, and you need you need to sort of, sort of create some clear guidelines. Yeah, I think that those are great points by Naveen, and I think uh, Senator Tillis would echo a lot of the same sentiments. You know, at the end of the day, um, we as you know, Republicans in this office, I think, have been pretty concerned with a lot of the actions taken by the SEC. We see them acting even not so much as uh, regulation by enforcement, but regulation through public example of a lot of digital asset institutions and companies. Um, and, you know, while it, it's certainly right and correct for the SEC to go after bad actors in the system, trying to establish a regulatory construct where it's just one-off actions against specific companies to then threaten other companies not to take similar actions uh, doesn't really establish any concrete or bright line rules of the road for companies to follow. And you know, at the end of the day, I think with Senator Tillis's economic portfolio and how we try and think about legislation in this office, especially given the geopolitical uh, implications uh, going on around the world today, we want to make sure that the U.S. remains at the forefront of financial institutions, the forefront of financial and um, capital markets, and obviously the forefront of financial innovation as well. And so it's really important for there to be clear rules of the road that Congress establishes that's going to incentivize companies to stay here or start here, as opposed to having any sort of brain drain or, or talent flight to other jurisdictions. Last question. I'll start with you, Ryan. What would you say to our audience here in terms of advice on how to interact with Congress and congressional offices generally, but you know, on this issue specifically? Sure. No, it's a, a good question. And uh, I think Naveen kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier when he talked about the, the research that it takes average of eight to 10 years to get something passed. Um, you know, the proof of reserves is a fairly niche topic for a fairly niche concept. Um, and I think to the extent that listeners and, and yourselves can continue to educate members that this solution is out there, uh, that this solution is already an industry best practice and, and standard that um, can apply to, to instances of malfeasance like we saw with FTX would be very important. Um, members uh, to have a lot that are thrown at them, not only in the, the banking and financial services space, but with um, you know, all the other issues that are on their plate. And uh, it, it takes a while to get uh, traction on some of these things, but that's not to say that you, it isn't important to continue to educate folks on it. So I think that would be my primary advice is just continue to beat the drum for this. Naveen, do you have anything to add here? Yeah. Support for our ability <laughs> would be much appreciated. Um, I think the, the the sort of grassroots advocacy is really, really important. I think um, folk, folks outside of, of, of DC, um, you know, maybe think that their voices are not heard whenever they come to Capitol Hill or whenever they, they, they inter, interact with lawmakers. I, I can tell you um, from across the political spectrum, whether it's conservative or, or Democrat or liberal progressive, they listen to constituents and they listen to people um, that take the time to voice their opinion. So I would, I would say two things, keep doing that, keep educating, keep advocating. Um, and I would suggest also potentially, you know, doing it in a way that is um, focusing on the policy and, and sticking to the facts. And, and I say this as someone who's worked in, a, in political entities for the last probably 15 years of my life, like try not to, um, you know, over politicize or potentially or, or strive to depoliticize some of these, some of the messaging. Um, and not that that, you know, I think I've seen some of that in, in, in sort of the space. I think that helps um, sort of legitimize the industry where you can just focus on the facts and focus on the policy 
And that helps out people like Ryan and myself who are in the weeds on some of this stuff and helps out members who have literally a thousand things on their plate at any given day. Awesome. Hey, Naveen Parmar, Chief Counsel for Senator Hickenlooper from Colorado and Ryan Adam, Economic Policy Advisor for Senator Tillis from North Carolina. Thank you guys so much. And thanks to your offices for uh, and, and the senators for their leadership on this issue. Of course. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thanks to our guests, Naveen Parmar from Senator John Hickenlooper's office and Ryan Adam from Senator Tom Tillis's office and for their office's leadership and support on the Proof Act fascinating, awesome bill that's been introduced in the U.S. Senate on a bipartisan basis. Also, thank you to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading as always. That's all we have this week. We'll catch you back here next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email. Read our content at galaxy.com slash research and follow us on Twitter at GLXY Research. See you next week.